Okay, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports 590 The Fan, Cuthbert and Forfar. You know why he's playing Shakira? I don't. Shakira and Lewis Hamilton confirmed to be dating. Quote, it's fun and flirty. <laughs> it better be. You know, if you don't start off fun and flirty, then yeah, where are you going? You're in for downfall. It's got to be fun and flirty, at least, <laughs> to start. I don't know if it'll be fun and flirty to start our interview with Jeff Merrick, but we will transition <laughs> to that now. Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning, Jeff. How are we? Are you winking at me, Justin? Can I see that? If I squint really hard, are you winking at me? We'll what have is, to go uh, to the video later. We'll have to go to the video oh, later to good, confirm or uh, deny that. Uh, how are you? Oh, okay. I'm well. How are you? Ailish, good morning. How is everyone good today? Good morning. We are swell. I hope it's maybe back-to-back nights for champions. What do you think? I think it's a really good chance. I mean, I think we're all expecting this as the Florida Panthers sort of limp into T-Mobile Arena tonight. Uh, you, you saw Matthew Kachuk on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Like Justin Ailish. Like, did that look anywhere close to what? I mean, outside of the uh, the shenanigans at the end where Matthew Kachuk, you know, remorphed back into to Matthew Kachuk. Um, he's he's a, a, a wounded bear here very much. And I think there's a lot of players on that team that are sort of walking wounded. Um, this is going to be like if the Florida Panthers are going to, extend this thing and send it back to sunrise this is gonna have to be you know maybe the command performance of, of sergey bobrovsky's career because uh mm. this is this is not a healthy looking team heading into this buzzsaw mm. has been the vegas golden knights don't you think yeah i mean we saw a kind of a tight performance last night from the denver nuggets they look like they didn't really know how to deal with hey we're supposed to win a championship tonight for some reason though mm-hmm. i don't think the same thing will apply to the vegas golden knights it doesn't seem like that would be a trap they would fall into, but uh, perhaps they uh, they are a little um, diminished by the moment. We shall see. Uh, you know, it's lesson time, right, Merrick? We do, uh, yeah. hey, what can we learn from the Vegas Golden Knights and what can we learn from the Colorado Avalanche and so on and so forth as we sure. go down the line. I-, I think one that stands out for me, honestly, is ownership. I mean, Bill Foley came in here, guns ablaze, and we're going to win a championship within six years is one of the lessons here just how crucial ownership can be from like an aspirational standpoint when you look at Vegas and what other teams have to do to get at Vegas's level? I think it's a great question, and I think there's a few things, and I think ownership is one. Like, we all, I mean, I did, Justin, I'm sure you did. Ailish, I'm looking over there. I'm sure you at least snickered when Bill Foley said we're going to win the Stanley Cup within six years. That's the goal. We all went, okay, guy, thanks for the for the $500 million expansion fee. Now go sit over there and don't say anything at the Board of Governors. Um, no one's laughing now. Um, I think a couple of things here. Um, I, I think when the book is, I, I think when the book is written on this era of, of of hockey and you know the rise of franchise values, I think one of the things that I hope gets you know some significant time in a chapter, or maybe its own chapter, is how changing the um, expansion draft rules increase franchise values greatly. Uh, we saw it this year with Seattle. We saw it in Vegas's first year of existence, and we're seeing it right now with the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, the way that expansion rules work now is you can be competitive right away, and that makes it really attractive to an investor where once upon a time whether you were columbus minnesota nashville you know you came in 
um, the expansion draft rules were, you know, a handcuffing and you couldn't really, you, you, you struggled. Like that was, that was by design. You had to struggle for a number of years uh, before you were competitive. I remember talking to Doug McLean about it in Columbus and said, what did you, you know, after you were finished the expansion draft, what's the first thing you did? And he said, I went back to my office and I tried to figure out how I could trade all the players that I just drafted so I could actually start making my team. That's not true anymore. Um, so I think one of the lessons here is one of the reasons why I think the NHL is, is, is attractive to new owners for expansion teams. And that's why we're talking about Utah. And that's why we're talking about Georgia again. And you know, that's why we're talking about Houston and wherever else pops up is because you can be competitive right away. Um, the other thing, I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the big on ice thing that I'm taking away from, from the Vegas Golden Knights, and it kind of flies in the face of everything that people in the analytics era have been talking about. And I understand it because it makes a lot of sense. But when you look at Vegas, it kind of flies in the face of that and makes even more sense. And you're actually seeing this thing that I'm going to talk about play itself out with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, I'm going to bring this somehow back to the Maple Leafs. When you look at some... Teams that are successful. We keep talking about identity and team and the, and the, the whole and capital T team and what it means to be part of a team. And normally we think, okay, that's got to be done through drafting and developing. Um, that's not true for either of these two teams. I mean, the Florida Panthers have a couple of guys that were drafted and developed, you know, Barkoff, Lindell, Bar- um, uh, Ekblad, but that's it. Everything else was free agency and, and trades. Uh, and when it comes to the Vegas Golden Knights, of course, it's an expansion roster. No one's really drafted and, and brought through the system here. These are all trades and free agent signings um, and they've used certainly their draft capital to get there but the one thing that really stands out to me about Vegas is how they compensate and keep their bottom six you know in the analytics era the the mantra about bottom six forwards specifically has been don't reward your bottom six players for performance let them walk and find another one who can do the same thing for cheaper because those players exist, whether it's on other teams, uh, whether it's in the American Hockey League, there's a lot of bottom six players around. So don't pay the ones that you have. Go get other ones who can do the same thing. That makes sense financially. The problem is you don't end up with an identity on your team and you end up with a, you end up with a sort of um, from a mental point of view, two tiers of your squad. There's the actual team, and then there are these players that just like keep on shuffling through. And others. That, and, that, and, <laughs> and, that, and that, and that, well, and that, and that's, I think, one of the lessons that, you know, Maple Leafs players were talking about coming out of their exit interviews. That, you know, Elliot talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, you know, too much attention with the core four, et cetera. Um, and how they need to, you know, create identity elsewhere in the lineup. And I think one of the lessons we can learn from the Vegas Golden Knights, whether it's, you know, you look at, you know, William Carlson and Carrier and Wad and Colasar and these types of people, they, they're they're compensated for their performance, not wildly compensated. Like you don't have you don't have any like six million dollar bottom six players here, um, but you know they're they're compensated for their performance, and they've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. Like they've been there with the team for like. Uh, you know, at least three, four, sometimes five seasons. And I, I think that we look at Vegas and we say, wow, that is a capital T team. And I think that's one of the big reasons why, because they don't just shuffle players in and out like that. Like Kelly McCrimmon, you know, had the 
reputation of being like this ruthless guy, like got rid of Marc-Andre Fleury, got rid of Nate Schmidt. They're wildly popular. What's the message to the marketplace? Really, all he's doing is the same thing that any other manager does. And he brings in Eichel and he brings in Petrangelo um, and he brings in big name players. Vegas is always at least sniffing around every every big league deal. But through all of it, there's been an identity that's been created there because a lot of their players have been there for a while because if you're identified as one of those players, you're compensated and you're kept. I think that, that to me at least, is the big takeaway from or what the lesson is from the Vegas Golden Knights. Talking with Jeff Merrick of uh, the Jeff Merrick Show and Coast of 32 Thoughts, the podcast I was listening to yesterday. Um, you mentioned Jack Eichel as someone that you'd be pretty high on for Conn Smythe's yes. trophy. I think that uh, we are a bit surprised that many people are starting to say that uh, many of the big names in hockey. I wonder what puts him number one or one A in your conversation because obviously statistically it's the Jonathan Marsha show show. <laughs> and yeah. um, I, I just I think it's also interesting tonight because what does Eichel need to do to secure that? Is it one big moment? Is it is it one big goal? Because um, he's got an opportunity to do that on home ice. Marsh so is doing it with the goals, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're looking at 13 goals, and he's scoring every game. And I, I think that pro- most likely, and we'll see what happens. Like Tonight may be, like, the ultimate tipping point here. Whoever has the, the better game, if Vegas wins, they get the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, if Marsh so snaps in two tonight, he's probably going to win this. <laughs> They're probably going to win this thing. Um, I just look at Jack Eichel's complete game here, and that's one of the things that we've not really paid a lot of attention to is how much he's turned himself into more of a complete hockey player. Uh, Bruce Cassidy talked about this at Media Day, you know, how he... How how he tracks back, how he plays in the in the, the defensive zone, how he plays in the neutral zone. We focus so much on Jack Eichel offensively, and he's fantastic, as we all know. Um, but we don't focus enough on on his on his two way play, and none of that you know really shows up in the highlights outside of the the coach's video session the next day. Um, you know, one of the hardest things to do in the NHL is get the zone, uh, and you know there is you know so many hours dedicated to in practice to to getting zone and, and setting up. I, Eichel does it as effortlessly as anybody else in the NHL outside of maybe Connor McDavid, who just backs everybody up and he just sort of tiptoes over the blue line at will. Eichel is so creative and he just makes it look easy. Like watch Eichel's zone entries. They are a thing of beauty. It's that game within the game. You guys know it. You guys watch it. Um, I just think that Eichel is, is completely right in front of our eyes here. You know, from that first game against the Winnipeg Jets where he was quite bluntly awful and looked out of place and was like, whoa, this is what playoff hockey is like. I wasn't prepared for that. Outside of that first game, to me, wire to wire, bell to bell, Jack Eichel's been the, the best player in these in the, in these playoffs. So my vote, if I had one, and I don't, uh, I'm not there, would go to Jack Eichel. We're hoping it's kind of like a Sid-Phil Kessel situation where it's kind of even, right? Like Phil Kessel scored all those goals, was huge in yes. um, blank, and if it was two, uh, 2016 or 17. But either way, uh, it was huge in that run, but it went to Sid anyway. Uh, maybe this is that uh, that same scenario where it marches. So, yeah, he scored a lot of the goals, got a lot of the, the attention, but it went to the guy yeah. who's got a little bit more pedigree. Well, I'll tell you what, it would be poetic, too, if it went to Jonathan Marcheseau and he won the Stanley Cup beating the team that said, yeah, beat it, guy. Oh, yeah. We're going to protect mm-hmm. Alex Petrovic instead <laughs> in the expansion draft. <laughs> so so there's one uh, one thing you can't say about uh, the Vegas Golden Knights is that they're, like, the most cost-effective uh, a franchise. Uh, I think $90-plus million is uh, what their total payroll is. And Tampa Bay uh, kind of had a similar situation when they won back-to-back Stanley Cups uh, over the last couple of years here. Why do you think... The NHL is ultimately okay with, uh, you know, their salary cap being this, but Stanley Cup champions ultimately paying far more for their players. 
Uh, for the owner's point of view, all the money stays in the system. And from the on-ice product, this door was opened with Patrick Kane and the Chicago Blackhawks once upon a time. Um, and we saw that, you know, with you know players like Andrew uh, Vermette. Um, uh, and I don't think they have any desire to close it artificially now. The, the, to me, the, the, the time to have done it would have been Patrick Kane, and they chose not to. And so it's wide open, and until they want to... Um, until they want to uh, reopen the CBA and try to do something about this, I don't think anything's going to change. I, I think the, the Patrick Kane situation was the time he would have addressed it, and they were fine with it, and they'll continue to be fine with it. And from the owner's point of view, all the money still stays in the system. Like they look at this and say, "Okay, what's the problem here? All the money's in the system, and if the revenue is 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 uh, is is uh, you know tilted more the players' favor by way of our fifty-fifty split, then they're on the they're on the hook for for more escrow. What's the problem here?" Okay, speaking of owners, what the heck is going on with the Ottawa Senators? Um, capital gains and stuff. I oh, need an geez. NBA. Can you high-level finance Are explain the this to losing me? losing money here? Like, yeah, like, what, I don't really happening? understand, so explain this to me like I'm sitting five. sitting on an asset here. <laughs> so I got a uh, – it's, it's interesting, too. So ever since we started, started talking about this and, and to drill down to, like, the, the you know various tax codes about this, I've been getting a lot of DMs from either investment bankers or accountants. And it's funny, right before I came on, I was just reading one that I got from an investment banker – uh, who uh, wrote this big, huge DM, and I got to go through it again, all about uh, anti-dilution protection and buyers paying capital gains, <laughs> which is un- which is unheard of as well. Like I understand that it's that it's not because listen, Eugene Melnick bought this thing back in 1993. Okay, I want to say 96. When did Eugene buy? When when did Eugene buy the uh, the Ottawa Senators? Anyhow, uh, and I think the price tag was like 130 or 140 million dollars. That did include the rink at that time. Now they're going to sell it for close to a billion dollars. So the capital gains on this is going to be enormous. And I mean, you can ask for the buyer to pay your capital gains. It's kind of unheard of in business practice. Is it going to be a whopper of a bill? Looks like it at face value. Maybe you can creatively wiggle out of this thing or uh, lower your capital gains somehow. Again, that is not the sweet spot of the bat for me, um, but it does look like uh, a, a whopper. I think capital gains will be a huge one here because, you know, we all, we all marvel at this idea of like, oh, wow, the Ottawa Senators could go for a billion dollars. That's insane. And I think every accountant out there says that's a nightmare. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a capital gains uh, nightmare here. So uh, I, I don't think that the uh, the Melnick daughters here want any part of paying what that capital gains would be. But I don't know that you're going to be able to. Again, I am not an accountant. I am not an actuary. So don't ask me about you know <laughs> things like pensions. Um, but I, I think you know capital gains is is something that buyers don't pay. That's what the sellers pay here. And it's going to be a whopper of a bill. Make no mistake about it. That's fascinating. Um, okay, so Connor Bedard had his combine over the weekend. He didn't have to show up, but he did. And he was showing off forearms and quads and everything else. Um, so it was pretty impressive, right? Like this guy didn't have to necessarily be an absolute powerhouse. Not that he wasn't going to be anyway, but he's definitely put the work in on top of being uh-huh. this ultra talented player. Uh, very, very impressive what we saw. But I wonder in your brain, Merrick, the most impressive yeah. thing or the most impressive combine performance that you've ever witnessed? Oh, man. Um, I can recall. Okay, you want to hear a good story? We, <laughs> I was hoping there was a story, to be honest. I don't, I don't know that it was the best performance, but it led to something that we see at the combine every year now. 
Okay, so right beside the wind gate, you see a uh, you see um, uh, there's an area with four black curtains. Okay, now the black curtains. Whenever I see those black curtains, and it's essentially a room for kids that have to barf to go. All right, after you get off the bike, that was there because of one player. The guy's name was Theo Peckham. So Theo Peckham going in at that time, he was playing for Owen Sound of the OHL. Theo Peckham, you know, big defenseman, uh, hockey fans, you know, may remember him playing with the uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. That's who ended up drafting him. So Theo Peckham at the combine uh, was on the bike and worked so hard that the minute he got off the bike, he you know went right to the garbage and started to throw up. And all the scouts were like, whoa, look how hard this guy works. Like all of a sudden, like scramble to the notebooks and write down, you know, hard worker to the point of exhaustion, mm-hmm. to the point of vomiting. Like this is hard. Scout talk, scout talk, scout talk. And uh, it ended up boosting up his draft stock. And then I can recall the next year at the combine. <laughs> Everybody was all the agents, up, eh? <laughs> all the agents telling their kids like whatever you do, like when you get off the bike, try to force yourself to throw up because it'll really <laughs> impress the scouts. So now, what they do is they have, oh, it's so stupid. They have the they have that little area that's all curtained off. So if the kids have to, uh, if the kids have to throw up, they they don't do it in front of the scouts as a tactic or as a big performance to show how hard they work. So whenever Oof. I see the black curtains beside the bikes, I I always think of Theo Peckham. What a beautiful breakfast conversation. <laughs> Sorry, you asked me for a story. Yeah, no, no, it's a good one. I remember the Wingate <laughs> fondly um, in my time of uh, fitness testing. And Did I, you like it? No, it's the worst one, I think. Uh, you just exert yourself <laughs> until you can't any further and you do feel like throwing up. So I might Could, have needed the black curtains in my time. I was going to say, did you need some black curtains in your life at that point? No, I, I was too soft to get to the point of, of whatever that guy's name <laughs> no, was. Theo Peckham. No, I wasn't Theo. Theo Peckham. I wasn't. Theo Peckham. Uh, well, Jeff, enjoy tonight and might be the last one we see in a while. Um, but we'll yeah. chat with you next Tuesday. Awesome. We'll talk in seven days. Thanks, guys. That's Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and, of course, co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Now, mm, speaking of barf, it's time for something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Mm, yum, 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 yum. Oh, that made so much sense. You got to do the one that Gunning ruined for us. Well, this is a good chew. Um, I talked about Nick Robertson briefly before we got to Jeff. Elliot was dropping some news, some heat, latest episode of 32 Thoughts um, around the whole NHL, and Nick Robertson's name came up, and we hadn't really talked about him in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Fridge was talking about Philadelphia having some pieces that maybe the Maple Leafs had been interested in previously, so one of them was that Scott Lawton, uh, before he signed his extension in Philadelphia, uh, quote, like, I think Toronto was pretty close to trading for him. Obviously, it's a different GM now, so it doesn't know how Brad Trey Living would feel, but it seems like the player that Brad Trey Living would like, end quote. Um, and also later says, quote, one guy Philadelphia had interest in before had been Nick Robertson, and Nick Robertson might be the kind of guy that could use a fresh start and will probably like one. I don't know how they, Philadelphia, would feel about them now. Unfortunately, he has had some injuries and some unfortunate bad luck the past couple of years, but I knew, do know that that's a guy they've liked in the past. Yeah, it's hard to feel really confident about uh, the Nick Robertson situation in that, uh, yeah, it might be a wasted asset. It might be an asset that may not be recoverable in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways because he just deals with these injuries and he, he just may not be able to hit his potential. But also... If you give up on him for pennies on the dollar, which may be the situation, maybe he comes back and bites you. I I will say, though, I didn't expect him to even be among trade candidates because I didn't think he'd have any value at this point. 
So if you can kind of, if you can convince the Flyers to take a flyer. I mean, you kind of see what you can get, right? On a Nick Robertson, maybe you can, uh, you know, capitalize on their desperation a little bit. I mean, they gave up Ivan Provorov. They look like they're willing to do some uh, do some business here. Danny and ma- make some ready moves. to do some stuff. He wants to sell some assets. So mm-hmm. maybe they are the perfect team to trade with at this point if there's anything left uh, to pluck off the counter. I do think that the new setting, the fresh start, certainly makes sense with Nick Robertson. Um, you know, not that he's overextended his time here. Just it's been hurdle after hurdle and he's been given some opportunities playing the playoffs. Like he was a young guy and he had some opportunity and then he's faced some injury issues. So maybe it is just a change of scenery that works out for him, but watch that bites the Maple Leafs in the butt one day when he ends up being like his brother. Yeah. I mean, it's not for lack of trying. Uh, Nick Robertson works. Nick Mm -hmm. Robertson's work ethic has never been a thing that's under, uh, under uh, that's questioned. Uh, It's just that, can he stay healthy and can he actually be an impact player at his size and what his skill level really, really is. It seems like he's kind of, Hey, can I do anything other than play left wing on the second line? Mm -hmm. And if that's all you can do, you don't have all that much valuable value rather to a franchise. All right, uh, full day today. We've got Blue Jays starting at 7 o'clock against the Baltimore Orioles. Um, it's going to be a big series. Chris Bassett starts tonight on the mound. Uh, it's a three-game series in Baltimore. That's at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. Sportsnet now, Sportsnet 590. The fan is streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590. As we mentioned earlier, we'll have a little bit of a programming update because we have Darko Ryakovich's introductory press conference live on the station at 1 p.m. today. So our our change of schedule is as follows. We're here 6 to 9, J.D. Bunkus 9 to 10, Jay's Talk Plus 10 to noon, Merrick 12 to 1, and then Ben Ennis is doing a special three-hour edition of the Fan Drive Time beginning at 1. And then stay tuned because at 4 p.m., Will Lou and Alex Wong will come back with the Raptors show, and they'll be joined by the Raptors head coach at 4.30 p.m. So you get to hear from him live on the station. You get to hear the press conference at 1. Um, you know, obviously a big, big moment in Toronto sports, you know, introducing your new head coach is, sounds like a beloved guy. People are really excited to, to hear from him. You'll have Messiah Jury as well, hopefully fielding some questions about what's next for the Raptors in the next month or shorter, Fred Van Vliet. Uh, opting out of his contract. Lots of lots of Raptor stuff to get through. Um, and we'll do some of that after the break. We have Adam Lefko joining us, studio host NBA on TNT and NBA TV uh, after the Denver Nuggets crown champions last night. We'll go through some of that with him and also look a little bit forward to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we've been taking your thoughts in the text line at 590-590, like what you're maybe hoping to hear from today. We heard the end of season press conference from Masai and then we heard the or he didn't come on. It was the press conference after Nick Nurse mm-hmm. was fired or released or mutual, however, they mutually agreed to part ways. I think we heard a little bit of insight, but today's a big opportunity, right? This is a new coach that's a new face and a new hand in your direction. Obviously, they hired him for some sort of impact, and that seems to be player development-wise, right? We're going to talk to Aaron Rose also um, later in the show, who's Raptors reporter, and he'll give us some more insight on what we've learned about Darko. Mm-hmm. The Darko horse candidate, maybe, for some people. I'm going to try that again. I wonder if someone will throw that at him. Yeah, I, I'm, I, listen, there has to be some serious conversations that have gone on in the time since the end of the season, and even more specifically since they let Nick Nurse go. Like, really, really important conversations about the direction of the Toronto Raptors, mm-hmm. and I hope we get some of those answers today. Uh, again, Adam Lefko might have some answers. 
I really want to know with our conversation with Adam, though, does he see dynasty? Does he see dynasty in the Denver Nuggets? Are they going to be able to win multiple championships like they thought they might be able to do? They weren't satisfied with one. They wanted to win more. Michael Malone, mm-hmm. right Jokic, on the podium. Jamal Murray, they're all talking about mm-hmm. more and more and more. We'll see if that's uh, if Adam Lefko believes that's possible. All right, Adam Lefko after the break. Dan Schulman at 8, Aaron Rose at 8.30. Baby Wake and Rake to wrap it up. So send that in at 590-590. That's all next on the Fan Morning Show. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Championship handed out on a Monday night to the Denver Nuggets and yours truly, Kitchener, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray Day. I'm sure there'll be a big celebration in Kitchener quite soon, but they got to have their big parade. And We just got to be careful how we categorize Kitchener because if you diminish it or call it too big, people will be quick. To, they want the perfect people city. People want Kitchener that? to be Kitchener. And don't mess with Kitchener. So we'll just leave it at Kitchener. Yeah, we'll have lots of Kitchener content to come, and they got to have a quick, a quick parade so their MVP can head home to his horses. <laughs> <laughs> lots of fun storylines coming out last night. Uh, somebody to help break it down with us is Adam Lefko, studio host of NBA on TNT and NBA TV. How's it going this morning, Adam? Oh man, I'm just excited for Kitchener. You know, <laughs> yeah. should be, should be. <laughs> No, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I had a chance to meet Jamal Murray when he was leaving Kentucky and declared for the NBA draft. And I was taken aback at how like sweet of a guy he was. That's Canada. And I, and I remember, I remember meeting him and being like, I don't know if, he, if this guy got the fight, you know, it's something we do all the time, which is so dumb and myopic. We, we associate off the court generosity with on the court toughness, but I thought it was so cool that he was mic'd up last night to see the way he was interacting with his teammates, the way he went up to Stan Kroenke, the owner, so we had to get it to him. But most importantly, like the way he broke down talking about his injuries and coming Mm -hmm. back, that's when you really start having your heartstrings pulled for a championship. It's, It's not just winning and saying we did it. It's realizing the stories of the journey, seeing Aaron Gordon being deemed a bust when he was a fourth pick in the draft and then going, finding himself a role as like a fourth best player and getting a title or MPJ battling back from his back injury or Jokic, uh, him with his child Mm -hmm. was so adorable. (laughs) Like it just took me back to like when Drew Brees won the Super Bowl and he brought his kid everywhere and he had the big headphones on and it was so cute that Oprah had to have him on the show. Uh, It was It was just a very wholesome night last night for a team that absolutely deserved to be the champs. I think that's a great way to put it. It seems like everybody could find a way to fall in love with this Denver Nuggets team. They were a lovable group of guys. There's there's different storylines coming into it. They weren't always the team that we thought would be here in the end, and they all had their own battles, and they came together, and they were victorious in the end. And, of course, Jamal Murray, you said, pulls on the heartstrings. I'm sure every Canadian felt the same way watching last night. And I wonder when you start to look at his career and what he's had to overcome and where he's at now in a tandem with the best player in the NBA, how do you start to categorize, like, his level of superstardom or stardom? And as a young guy, like, that ceiling seems to be still far enough away. You just, I go back to the bubble where it was him and Donovan Mitchell battling out for who is going to be the guard that we are talking about for the next five years. And he dropped, I think, like a 50 ball. Mm-hmm. And him and Donovan were going up and back. 
And then out of nowhere, that ACL happens. And the thing that I've learned really getting close with athletes is being injured like that. It isn't just a time away from the sport. And it's not the fact that you have to rehab. It's that you're trying to get simply back to where you were while everybody else is continuing to make progress. But I look at it now and you look at this core and you realize that him, Murray, Jokic, MPJ, and Aaron Gordon are all back. The only real free agent they have from this rotation is Bruce Brown. So this two-man game of Murray and Jokic continues to develop now for at least the next two seasons. And if you look at the rest of the West, it is an absolute mess. The Grizzlies and everything going on with John Morant, the Lakers get a new coach, the Suns get a new coach. Uh, Not the Lakers get a new coach, but the Lakers just with all their injuries, is it sustainable? Uh, The Suns get a new coach. You look up and down, the Clippers are a mess. The Warriors might have to break it up. And so when I think about just Jamal Murray, and I think about the fact that now with all the other guards that he's been competing with to try and get into the West, he's someone that I had a vote last year you immediately start thinking about all-star teams. You start thinking about all NBA. And if they're healthy and they have this continuity, they are the favorites right now to come out of the West to represent them in the finals next year as well. Is it a major disservice to say that Jamal Murray is just the perfect complement to Nikola Jokic? Like, if he went off on his own, would he be that guy? Could he still be that guy? Could he lead a championship-level team or... I mean, just the match that these two guys have, would you never even want to see that because they seem to be sort of yin and yang and work well, so well together and have their skill sets, which are very, very unique to each other, just play off each other so beautifully. Like we're talking about level of superstardom. Does Jamal Murray step on by himself and put, can he lead a championship team all by himself? Uh, In the words of Kanye West of the Grammys, I guess we'll never know. Um, but I do, to be honest, I know that you guys think like, how long have you guys been doing this radio show together? Nine months. Okay. So like I work with Ernie and Chuck and Kenny and Shaq (laughs) and people ask me all the time, like those four have been together for 10 years. Chuck, Kenny and Ernie have been together for 20 years. And people would always like do the hypotheticals, man, what would happen if, if Chuck went to somewhere else? You know what I mean? Or, or how would Ernie do if he went to ESPN or something like that? And the thing is, man, is you just start to appreciate when things get to bake and things get to cook. And so, like, I, I'm so as I get older, I don't know how you guys are. I get so much more appreciative about people that understand their roles and people that understand how to work together. And there's a lot of guys in this league that are out there trying to do it by themselves. If you want to go look at a team like that, you can go watch the Houston Rockets. If you want to watch uh, a bunch of guys that are like, let me see if I can take over tonight and then not win games, that's the rest of the NBA. It's the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, There's so many of these teams that when you find, like you said, bro, a guy that can roll off the screen, hits the mid-range, perfect pace, never demanding too much, like, we had, we had Jamal Murray and Jokic both go for triple doubles in the same game in the finals. And so, for me, I don't even want to think about it uh, because I think it's, it's disrespectful as though he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I definitely think he can. Um, but I just I think it's a perfect pair, and we don't see that in the rest of the NBA. Like, we got Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum. People are like, we got to break them up. And, and that, that just lets you know how good – Murray and Jokic are together that no one's ever thought about that. 
Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, some things aren't worth seeing. And it's not like there's just one beneficiary in all this. It's not just Jamal Murray getting lifted up by Nikola Jokic. No, this is a partnership, right? And and Nikola Jokic could go on by himself, sure, and and win with a different cast. But this team... Yeah, but you know what? He couldn't. He couldn't. Think about it. He didn't have Murray last year. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the story of Jokic. They didn't have Murray, and they kept getting knocked out in the first round. No, you're so, right. You know, and, and and we question Jokic. Oh, he's a regular season guy. Murray gets back title. Murray was there in the bubble, Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I guess it was my point. It was like it's kind of curated around those two, and and maybe it's curated around one, and that's diminishing Jamal Murray. But it seems like this team, in a lot of ways, sort of handpicked to be built around these two and to get the best out of these two. And it's really, really impressive. And as you mentioned, only Bruce Brown might be the guy walking out that door. So they were throwing that word dynasty around last night. Do you see a potential for dynasty with this Denver team as they look to repeat next season? So I've... I've been at uh, TNT. I've been on TNT for like four or five years. I've been at Bleacher Report for a decade. And I used to get so frustrated because I would do 30 videos a day. Who's the top team in the NFC West? All that stuff. (laughs) And every time after a championship, I would be on with someone and they would say, this could be a dynasty. And the one that I remember the most, because the first one I did was when the Seattle Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos and they destroyed them. And it was like the young Legion of Boom. And everybody was saying, oh, guaranteed dynasty. I think there are way too many things that can happen over the course of a season uh, for it to happen. So I, I look at the team, the, the West right now, as I mentioned, the West is a mess, uh, especially with the new salary cap implications coming in the NBA where it's going to be really hard to keep all these super teams together. And so a team like Denver that already has their core four and everybody else is a huge advantage. I look at the East and I go, okay, is Brooke Lopez going to come back to Milwaukee? Probably not. They take a step back. Is Boston going to take a step forward or a step back? I think they take a step back. They're going to lose a bunch of pieces, the Grant Williams and stuff. I don't think the Sixers are going to be that. Like when you look around the NBA, also realize this is just something for all your listeners. The offseason has already started for 28 other teams. So we're already starting to see them being broken apart and articles saying which free agents are going to leave and, and coaching changes and all that. Denver hasn't had a single change yet. But I would say that in Vegas, they will be the favorites. Do I think that they will be a dynasty? I'm going to bet with my realistic brain. I'm a guy that bets unders, just so you know like how I am at parties. Boom. Yeah, but I because I I like to make money. <laughs> yeah. You know, L- last night last night the Miami Heat scored eighty nine. Mm. You know, anybody that bet the over last night, you a dummy. <laughs> so uh, I I think it's I think the smart side of my brain says it's probably not going to happen, but the rational side of my brain, like you guys are saying, which is the core is coming back. Jokic is twenty eight. Murray's around the same age. Like they are very much poised to make a run. Does it happen? I would bet against it. Talking to Adam Lefko, studio host, NBA on TNT and NBA TV. Um, before we talk about this Heat team, uh, we got to talk about just the greatness um, of Jokic and, and the first player in NBA history to lead all players in points, rebounds, and assists in a single postseason. You can kind of go through everything he set and everything he changed in terms of the record books on this journey, but he, we talked about this before we brought you on. He's just like a very unique, lovable, lovable 
uh, unassuming superstar, right? I don't think we've ever seen somebody that doesn't want to be in the limelight, doesn't want to pop the champagne bottle with enthusiasm. He's just like a very silly, different guy. I wonder in your time of, of covering him and seeing his rise from the guy that got drafted during the Taco Bell commercial to the best player in the NBA, what's been the best you know, insight that you've learned about his life? And maybe it's just about him loving horses, but just the different type of guy that he really is. He reminds me uh, Michael Lewis, the guy that wrote Moneyball and Blindside, also wrote a book called The Undoing Project. And in the beginning, he was talking uh, with a bunch of different teams. And one of the guys he talked with was Daryl Morey, who the GM, obviously now the Sixers at the time, the Houston Rockets. And The Undoing Project was all about getting over bias. And it was about understanding what your bias is. And Daryl Morey talked a lot in the book about different guys that were drafted into the NBA and why he believed teams missed. Marcus told people didn't draft because there was a childhood photo that came out of him where he was overweight. And people laughed about that, and so he went down the draft. People didn't draft Jeremy Lin because they had never seen an Asian player perform at a super high level like that. And I think Jokic is a perfect example of – We've never seen somebody that we, we joke about him being chubby or, or uh, seemingly uninterested and all this. And, and the, he's so unconventional. He'll shoot off one foot. He'll shoot over his head. He's a past first center. Uh, he, you would never say he's dominant. Like even when he went 30, 20 and 10, I wasn't watching that game and going, wow, this is a dominant performance. I went, this is a beautiful performance. This is an artistic performance. And so I, I think Jokic is one of those guys that when all is said and done, when we're putting together the top 100 NBA players, by the way, in 25 years when we're compiling the list and Anthony Davis is on the 75 and Jokic isn't, that's going to look ridiculous. Uh, but I think it's going to be very hard to, to compare him and to rank him because we don't know who to compare him to. Um, I, I kind of think a little bit about Tim Duncan um, just in terms of the technicalities and how he's very underspoken. Um, but then again, I think Tim is, you know, Tim's a top 10 guy in my book. I would say Jokic right now is, is because of the two MVPs, the finals MVP and the championship, he's in like the top 35. And so now the question is how far does he go? You know, and um I, I think it's incredible to watch. I think what I love to see out of Jokic, I thought it was interesting yesterday that it seemed like his brothers were celebrating the championship more than him. <laughs> but then, but then, like you said, after the champagne, when a lot of like the TV cameras went away and then he tackled Jamal Murray into the pool and he poured the beer over KCP's <laughs> head at the podium. When once he realized like, it was like he needed it to settle in and he needed some of the cameras to go away. Mm -hmm. And I, I love to see how uh, professional athletes interact with each other as people. Um, and, and you could tell that Jokic is beloved and that he loves his teammates more than anything. And, and it, it was beautiful to watch, but I, I think he will go down undoubtedly as an all-time great. Or he needed some of those Michelob Ultras into his system like me at uh, any any party, uh, just to feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, yeah, maybe a little bad blue, kick it back, get loose. Of course, get a little loose. Uh, so, you know, all those moments kind of distract from what was... I don't know if it was the greatest basketball game of all time. I mean, I, I think greatness uh, that Denver possesses was c kind of shown through the struggle in that, hey... Uh, 
uh, you know, we're not having a very good shooting night, but we're still better than Miami and we're still going to win this title um, in the end. But I, I'm always reflecting on, you know, what does this mean for the league? Is the league happy with what they saw? And is this a great reflection of the product that they're trying to put out there? So if you're in the league office today, are you thrilled with the five game series victory that Denver had over Miami? Or are you looking for something different if you're in the front offices and, and, and worrying mostly about revenue and that sort of thing? Okay, well, yeah, I don't think they're ever bemoaning it. I think that they definitely would have loved it to go up seven, you know, just the amount of revenue that, that that generates and all that. I think if you're looking big picture in the league office, you're going, okay, one, this is great for the international game. Uh, and they've already talked about how maybe switching the all-star game, not this year, but in the future to a U.S. versus the world format, this gives a lot of credibility to that. Secondly, I think the fact that the Miami Heat went from the play-in to the finals and the Lakers went from the play into the Western conference finals. I think that really uh, cranks up the energy going into the playoffs next year. Um, uh, it's been completely different covering the NBA. Now that the play in is a real thing because the last month or two people forget not, not only was there tanking, but you had these like these group of teams that were like, in, in the middle ground where they weren't tanking, but they weren't making the playoffs. And who cares if you get the eight seed? Well, the Heat went and got the eight seed and went to the finals. So I think that'll be a phenomenal storytelling for next year. I think the league loves that. Um, do I think they wish it was Lakers, Celtics selfishly? Of course they do. That's just, you know, you're, you're, the NFL would do the same thing. Remember when it was Carolina, Denver a few years ago? Well, every year they'd love it to be, you know, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders versus Dallas, you know, or the Chiefs versus the Cowboys. But, um, no, I I think this notion of, like, bias is a a little bit overrated. Um, I I think that there's a a reason, though, that Stephen Curry, like, in the last 25 highest-ranked games, I think has been in all 25 of them or something like that. Mm. There are certain stars that we love to watch. Uh, guards always get more love than bigs. I think people relate more with guards. They're closer to their size. They, they lean in more to the underdog story. Um, but I, I don't think the league office is upset, but um, I think they'd be lying also if they didn't say that a different matchup would have led to, to higher ratings. Yeah, and maybe the benefit will be to come, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're telling the story of Nikola Jokic winning the championship after winning a couple MVPs certainly helps that and solidifies him as, you know, all-time great status and someone that's going to be must-watch moving forward. So maybe the benefit uh, will come in that sense. Um, so we were talking earlier about, you know, what we saw last night, and we saw a little burst from Jimmy Butler late in the game, and that could have it could have been the difference. It could have been something that the Heat used to actually prolong this series, but it wasn't quite enough. Did the the attritive aspect just catch up to him over the course of these playoffs? Was he just not right uh, in order to you know be at his best for more than just a couple minutes in Game Five and for the large portions, I guess, of the NBA Finals? I think if you look back at Jimmy Butler against the Denver Nuggets, this has been in, in regular season the last few years. He hasn't always had the biggest games. And I think a lot of that credit does go uh, to Aaron Gordon and also to Mike Malone's system. I, I think the thing that, that people need to realize, too, is that height matters in the NBA. And the Denver Nuggets are a huge team. And so when you have MPJ at like 6'10", 6'11", Aaron Gordon being you know tall and wide, Jokic and some of the other sides they have, they were just the, the Heat were just able to battle with a Boston Celtics team that sometimes was playing Al Horford at center, and so 
Jimmy Butler was going up against such a different style, such a different size. Think about the impact Caleb Martin had against Boston. He wasn't able to have that against Denver because you're going from a team whose tallest guy was, you know, 6'8", to now we're playing against a bunch of 6'11", 7-footers. But I think it was tiring uh, for Jimmy Butler. I think it was a style. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I cursed at my TV last night. (laughs) I did. Like, when, when it was at the end of the game and he drove and then stopped and then had that turnover to KCP, for me, I, I was just yelling because I was like, Jimmy, this is your chance. And it, I, I don't think that I ruined the journey by talking about not being happy with the destination. But it definitely did seem towards the end of that game that he was a little discombobulated. And... I just wish that he went up no matter what. The, the, the three off the backboard, was that, that never had a chance. But it was the drive with no plan. It was the drive with somebody help me in a turnover. Um, I just I hated the way it ended. Uh, what, what an incredible performance. The way he knocked down Milwaukee. Uh, the way he did beat up Boston when it mattered. Uh, but the undrafted guys for the Heat, to me, are the story. It's the Gabe Vincent's. It's the Duncan Robinsons, it's the Caleb Martins, it's the Max Struces of the world. And then the other story, I think, is that Bam Adebayo stepped up in a huge way. Uh, I had a lot of people that we used to argue in the NBA TV offices that Bam Adebayo is overrated. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's just only good because that system. He looked like a star in this series, the way he was battling out. I think he had over 20 in every game. Um, he was like a double-double machine, uh, averaging like 12 rebounds. Um, but in the end, I do have a kind of a bitter taste in my mouth because of I just I wanted playoff Jimmy in the finals, mm-hmm. and and we just never got it. Adam Lefko, studio host, NBA on TNT and NBA TV. Last one for you here before we let you go. Today, the Toronto Raptors are kind of starting a new era. They're introducing their new head coach and um, maybe hopefully giving us a little insight of which direction that they're going. Um, where do you think the Raptors are at right now? We also heard about Fred Van Vliet, you know, with this player option. I don't think that was surprising, but the Raptors are in a maybe a pivot point. Uh, where do you think that they're at when you're trying to evaluate the Toronto Raptors? And, you know, they won the championship on this day in 2019, so it's just an interesting uh, memory looking backwards I feel the same way about the Raptors today that I do that I did about around the trade deadline where I'm wondering who is staying and who is going Mm -hmm. and I'm really curious you know sometimes you got to take one step back and take two step forwards I I would be shocked if Fred Van Vliet is the only Raptor leaving this team and so the question is is hey this Let's trot out all six, seven guys, super versatile, super switchable, super multiple. This isn't working. You know, what should we do? How do we, do we want to bring in a traditional big? I would, I would bet a Fred Van Vliet is gone. He's gone. There's, there's too much smoke, uh, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's uh, LA uh, that wants his services. And from what I've heard, uh, he's loved his time in Toronto, but I think he's ready uh, to be in the, in the continental U.S. right now. So I'm just curious. I thought Scotty played well towards the end of the year, uh, especially compared to how it started in the beginning. Um, but is it time for Toronto to dismantle and start rebuilding? Um, I think that the worst place you could be in the NBA is in that middle ground as a four, five, three, four, five, six seed where you're not really getting better and you're not really taking a chance. 
Um, but this is why, you know, Messiah is, is seen as, as so great. He's got to figure this out. But uh, I think as soon as you move on from Nick Nurse, you unplug everything and nobody is safe. I think, you know, Scotty's probably safe. I would imagine Pascal is safe. But I would be curious what you guys think. Like, uh, and from what you hear from callers, like, are you guys desiring to blow it up or are you guys desiring to run it back and do tweaks? Oh, I'm uh, I'm team blow it up, to be honest. It was a frustrating <laughs> year on many levels, but their indecisiveness. Are there I any think... untouchables? Like, are there any players that you do not get rid of? Scotty. Uh, I mean, if it, it, I, don't know. I, I would consider it like if if everything's on the table, everything should be on the table. But you said Siakam, yeah. you lump Siakam in there with Scotty. I wouldn't go that far because I think if you're getting a premium asset back in return, maybe the third overall pick from the Portland tip, uh, Trailblazers, yeah. rather, then that might be what you need to do. And if you're talking about a full rebuild, I mean, Siakam's late 20s and Fred's, you know, just a couple years advanced uh when it t- uh, when you look at his timeline, like if you're truly turning it over, then turn it over. And as you're right, be decisive and don't be in that middle ground because it's not going to get you anywhere. Because yeah, uh, man, that's interesting. I do love Scoot. I do love Scoot mm-hmm. Henderson a lot. If you guys made a play for one of those, <laughs> it's, uh, I always find it interesting. I cover a lot of the different drafts of all the different sports, and always the players that go high. Uh, a few weeks beforehand, everyone starts talking about how other prospects are rated ahead of them. And all I've seen this week is teams love Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson. And the first thing that I think is, nah, I don't believe it. Uh, I just, I think that this is some smoke screens from some other teams trying to impact trades and stuff like that. Uh, because now you're starting to see the Pelicans want to go out there and get Scoot. If Toronto started packaging up some of those players to go after a guy like that, that would be really interesting. But um, I, 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 I pray for patience for you guys. I pray for happiness. Uh, I've, I listen, I, I'm, I'm at my core. I was raised a Sixers fan and I went through the process for all of those years. And I will tell you that there is light on the other side. And so, uh, I wish strength for all of Toronto. I hope you guys get what you want. Uh, but I think that you guys are going to be entering a stage of a lot of frustration, um, But this too shall pass. This too shall pass. (laughs) Well, we appreciate the well wishes. We will remember this maybe in the next coming days or weeks when we feel the level of frustration, it will pass and we'll remember your words uh, wisely. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Adam. Um, I'm glad that we got to catch up and maybe we'll have some good Raptors discussions down the road. Absolutely. Have a great day, y'all. You as well. That's Adam Lefko, studio host NBA on TNT and NBA TV. Everybody listen to that and take a deep breath because we got a big day today. Yeah. Newest head coach and Raptors moving forward and trying something different. We'll find out. Outside perspectives matter. And I think you get in this market and you just don't want to give up on something or you tell yourself that, hey, we know these guys are better than they're given credit for on the outside mm-hmm. looking in. And that might be true. But sometimes what just seems obvious is obvious and clinging to anything seems completely, it's optimism that is completely misplaced. I I believe, I feel the exact same way he did. And he's not someone who's watched all these games, right? Like if that's, if you're just trying to fight that feeling, you're in a tough spot. And if they keep fighting this feeling, they're not going to get anywhere. And the mushy middle is the worst place to be. But, you know, we've talked about it all year. We know where we each other stand on this. Well, you get to hear from the Raptors head coach today live on the show. Um, We're going to be streaming the press conference at 1 o'clock today on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ben Ennis, will anchor that coverage. Special three-hour edition of the fan drive time. And then at 4 o'clock, 
Will Lou and Alex Wong will bring you the Raptors show, and they'll be joined by the Raptors' new head coach at 4.30 p.m. So stay tuned for all of that today on the show and the program as we look to start this new chapter of Toronto Raptors. They won the championship in 2019 on this day today. Maybe there's some sort of, like, mystical... Good vibe with hey, that, that June se- That 13th. seems like it was not that long ago, but it's a long time to hold on to something. Okay, it feels like a long time ago since we saw the Toronto Blue Jays. They had an off day yesterday. They're back in action in Baltimore. We're going to talk to Dan Schulman after the break. A nine-game road trip begins tonight after a very, very long 30 games in 31 days. Let's break it all down with Dan Schulman.